Welcome to the Get Funded Podcast featuring Eric Velines and John Biggs. We're the authors of a new book called Get Funded, and we're running a series of webinars about PR, investment, and other startup-related stuff. If you'd like to join us on the show, just visit youcangetfunded.com. That's youcangetfunded.com. This episode was recorded on April 27th with a live audience on Zoom. Thanks for listening. All right, so let's get started. So I'm John Biggs. I'm a former East Coast editor of TechCrunch. I quit TechCrunch full-time to do startups, which was a horrible idea. Um, but the things that I learned, uh, I'm trying to share with folks. Here comes Jeff. Uh, trying to share with folks. Um, I come at this from a journalist perspective. I come at this from an, from the angle that says the the world wants to hear interesting stories out of startups and i've i've written about a, i guess it's been about 11,000 posts probably 8,000 of them about startups so it's been a uh, it's been quite a quite an experience sorry guys i'm i'm john biggs former east coast editor techcrunch now i'm at coindesk uh, this is eric i've known him for a decade more 20 like oh. more, something like that he was the only pr guy that i actually liked talking to um, I haven't, I, PR people are, are the bane of a journalist existence. <laughs> like Jeff's, uh, like Jeff's, uh, whatchamacallit, his, uh, avatar. Uh, PR people are the bane <laughs> of a journalist existence, but, uh, God bless him for trying. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Eric? I am, I'm Eric, and I always like to say journalists like to make fun of us, but they, they love having us around to feed them stories. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And we'll talk about that. <laughs> and then pretend they hate us. Yeah. Um, I've been doing um, writing, uh, journalism, and PR for about 20 years. Actually, over, I keep saying 20, but I no, realize more. I'm 51. It's 25 years now, although 20 sounds better. It makes me younger. The, um, I spent the first part of my career in entertainment, uh, worked in financial services, and over the last decade, I've worked exclusively and specifically in uh, tech. That includes launching the first Galaxy devices with Samsung, uh, working with T-Mobile. I now uh, run global communications for Anchor. So if anyone has a battery charger or a cable, I'd say about 70% of you may be running around with uh, Anchor products. Okay. So for Anchor, you basically do, you do their events, you do uh, journalistic outreach, that kind of thing? Correct. Okay. So... I think the easiest I think the easiest question to start with is just say I'm a startup when do I need somebody like you to help me with my PR and what is what is PR what is the definition of PR uh especially from a startup angle because I mean Anchor used to be a startup now it's huge uh so how did you have to change uh, that sort of thing I I mean I think at the end the fundamentals are always going to be the same whether you're um you know, a, a company that's, you know, valued at 1 billion or a company that's just in the beginning of the valuation stage because you're trying to get some seed funding. And I think that starts with the story. And um, if you're going to talk to people in an elevator, you're going to talk to the media, it's the same thing. It's why should I care? I think one of the big challenges for many startups is the desire and rush to jump out and start pitching a story before there is a story. Um, and the problem I think for many journalists is many founders specifically are very passionate about their ideas. Um, and that tends to, you know, that seems to, to get rid of common sense sometimes. So they want to run out, they want to tell everyone. The problem is, is journalists are being pitched every day with the most innovative, you'll hear that term a lot, the most innovative, most amazing never been done. Well, the problem is, is there probably journalists have heard something like that before. So um, I tend to say pull back, work on your messaging, focus on your financing, focus on your business plan, hiring the right people, focus on your idea. Because if you need PR to succeed, you've already failed. PR is like spice. It's a little salt and pepper on a, on a, on a good steak or a good meal. But if you're using it as the exclusive way um, to, to get funding and success, you're probably going to fail because PR is there, um, to validate what you're doing. It can be there to help, um, generate interest and excitement from the investment community, 
But there are so many people running around beating their chest um, every single day and every single moment with journalists talking about what a great idea they have that I think, um, again, I, the difference in the beginning is take a breath, take time. Don't make it be the first thing you do, but work on your story, develop the proof points, get some funding, get key team in place, get your product in a place that's, that's good to talk about. And then and only then um, would I start thinking about external communications. What, how does, uh, how does external communications, it, I mean, it, it sounds like it's almost like a system of last resort, but how do I know it's not a, it's a system of last resort until I try it? What's, what's some of the easiest ways that I can give it a try without spending 10,000 bucks a month or whatever? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, spending money on an agency at the beginning stages of a company is probably not the right strategy. And as you get out there, you're going to be, you know, contacted by lots of boutique agencies, small agencies, one-man shops, uh, promising to to get your name out there. And generally, I'd avoid those type of things. Um, and I'd also avoid the founder reaching out directly um, to the media right away. I think the first things you can do um, is, is if there are journalists um, that you're interested in reaching out to, make sure you're reading their stories. Make sure you understand what they cover. There may be, you know, 50 journalists at a particular publication. There may be five. Um, you know, if you look at VentureBeat or something like that, there's lots and lots of journalists on staff and freelance writers. Make sure you're reading what they write about. And if you decide to reach out to them, that they're writing about things that are similar to what you do. So don't reach out to a healthcare um, journalist that's covering financing for healthcare if you've got a new tech gadget, you know, widget. It just doesn't make sense. Um, but I think the first thing I would do is once you get those things sorted out is probably friend on Twitter. A lot of these journalists start reading what they're writing about, liking what they write, comment from time to time, be engaged, and then eventually, uh, when the timing's right, you might reach out to them in a way that's, that, that shows that you understand what they write about. How much time should people spend on this? Uh, I've, I've talked to some founders who, are, who have this attitude that they don't have any time for marketing and that they just hope it's going to happen organically. How much time should I be spending like reading me, for example? Well, I think I mean I wouldn't recommend you, reading me, but that's a whole different story. If you ask that same founder if they're watching Netflix and they're watching all these shows, they're probably going to tell you they are, which means that there's a lot of time in the day. So I think you could spend 10 to 15 minutes a day, um, you know, reading through uh, a list of journalists or writers that you like, uh, staying up to beat. You can develop a Google News search with those writers and outlets that you're interested. So it'll sort of curate. Uh, the media that you need to see every day and just read through it um, and definitely pay attention to their Twitter accounts because journalism more, moreover than Facebook or any other platform tend to use uh, Twitter um, to perpetuate their stories and, and push their stories. So, I mean, I think 10 to 15 minutes a day is more than enough um, to stay up, uh, up to speed on what these folks are writing about. Okay. Um... What kind of stories, what kind of stories do you recommend? I mean, I'm sure you get, you get clients who want you to write about every, or pitch every single thing that they have to offer. Uh, what kind of stories work best in your experience? I think the best stories are the ones that relate to something that's already somewhat topical in the industry. If we work on the assumption that a great startup or a great entrepreneur is trying to fix something that's broken, or fill a void of something that doesn't exist. And if you go back to those moments when you had that idea, you know, when you reach out to journalists, I think one of the, the biggest mistakes a lot of people do is they pitch their company. Uh, and that's pretty much all they do um, without taking time to really, you know, talk about the, the motivation. So for example, um, if there were problems, you know, I should note that John and I have written a book together that'll be coming out soon. And we have a, a, a fictitious, uh, healthcare company. And the impetus of this is that you, if you, as you get older, you're going to have a lot of different types of, of medical support. You might have, uh, your internist, you might have, uh, you might be doing, um, some type of, of exercise. You've got tons of medication. You've got this and that, and this and that. And it becomes very complicated. So if you say that's the problem, but how could you bring it all together 
So you would have an advocate that would be looking at all these things holistically and making sure that, you know, on one end, your medication isn't countering other medication, but that you are exercising to deal with your diabetes and you've got a nutritionist and it can be very overwhelming. So the problem is that, how do we solve that problem? So if I were to go out and pitch that idea uh, to journalists, I'd be dealing with the problem. And the problem would be the lead of my pitch that today there are these issues in the industry, X, Y, and Z, stats and figures, keep it really short, sentence or two. That's my lead. And then mention why and how we're solving that problem and keep it really simple. But I think that journalists really appreciate uh, facts, links, third-party resources, um, and then you can saddle in your pitch and your idea. But that makes their job a whole lot easier because they don't have to go out and then do a bunch of resource work and the, if they're interested, then they open your email, they read and whatever. I remember John told me a story once that he gets like 5,000 emails a day mm-hmm. and he deletes about 4,999 of them without reading them. So <laughs> yeah, like I'll, uh, here, I'll show you real quick. I don't have, I don't have the TechCrunch. Uh, I don't have the TechCrunch magic right now. Unfortunately, that was a, that was a nightmare, but even this, this is way too much. Um, these are all like these. These are all just people contacting me. And the interesting thing is, like a lot of this stuff, especially in crypto, crypto is just exhausting. Um, they just don't have it a story. It's just like it's just like a stablecoin offering or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's really well, that's spam uh, pitching, right? Yeah. The idea that spray I'll and do spray, of, right? Or I'll cut and paste a bunch of journalists in the BCC line of an email and blast where the idea is the more the better and eventually one will pick it up. And I would say that's absolutely the worst strategy ever, man. Because if you're not making the pitch specific to the journalists, you're wasting their time. Journalists are human beings, which means they've got egos just like everyone else. They have good days and bad days. They're good people. They're bad people. But if you're not, you know, if you're not telling them a story that's specific to them, then you're just wasting their time. I think some of the some of the advice that I would give from a journalist standpoint, you should never lead with uh, information that you're that. Hey, I want to. I noticed that you covered X. Would you like to cover something similar to X? So if if a journalist <laughs> has already covered X, uh, if they've already covered, I don't know, uh, the coolers for summer picnics. By the time you notice that story, they've already forgotten about all the coolers for summer picnics. So there's literally no way for you to pitch it again. Uh, That's, 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 or like, um, or I don't know, job searches online or, uh, or I don't know, insurance, whatever you guys are working on. I don't know. Um, Anytime you do that, you're basically put it immediately sticking yourself into the, uh, into the junk bin because it shows that you're, you're opportunistic rather than uh, deterministic. You're not, you're not looking at, you're not looking at the market and your product as something that should be interesting in the future, as opposed to you're, you're thinking that should have been interesting a year ago. Uh, but, uh, the journalist already noticed your competitors and now you want in on the action, which is kind that's of, the, doesn't work. That's the exact opposite of being disruptive. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the most memorable low cost pitches that you put together like let's think about anchor for example well i mean the truth is um there are two there are probably two to three type of strategic pitching that we do we do one to reviewers right so we have we have magic we have products so um tangible products uh, physical products that people can review it's going to be much much easier for you to get the attention of journalists because that's what they do if you take it to a different thing and you have a interesting new technology, for example, GAN, um, which is um, a type of uh, uh, alternative to silicone that allows um, charging components to get much, much smaller because if you know with electricity, it generates heat. So in order to dissipate the heat, the more wattage that you have, the larger the device is going to get in order to have you know, the surface area to be able to dissipate the heat. But with uh, gallium nitride, nitride with uh, GAN, it allows you to make components much smaller. So that sounds really techy. So, but what we did is we focused on the, what the end product was. So if you took a, a standard Mac charger, for example, even a, a one for a MacBook Air that's about this big, 
And now I have an iPad sized charger that can deliver 30 watts and be able to show that to them. That was really our pitch. We used imagery. And people didn't need to be uh, literally, you know, engineers and rocket scientists to figure out the difference. So we, we really focused on the visual aspect of our invention. And we were able to get um, not just tech media, but consumer media and people excited about that because now people are thinking, well, I've got a handbag and I can throw this teeny little thing in my bag. Oh my God, it's exciting. Um, the third level of pitching would be, um, which is very similar to startups and entrepreneurs, which is what we call executive eminence, which is a big word, meaning how can I get my executive uh, in the media? A uh, little, not a cult of personality like Steve Jobs per se, but to, to have them, you know, being interviewed by TechCrunch or um, The Verge or other tech outlets. And the answer to that is, um, you know, we're lucky that over time people really like our CEO, but even with uh, his popularity and likability, if um, I'm going to pitch him, he has to have something to say. So generally that's a point of view specific to our industry. Um, and I think this is another great pitching tool. And as a, a startup or an entrepreneur, rather than pitching your product, um, if you've worked in a particular industry and you have a startup and you see that there are problems, sometimes you, what you can do is pitch your executive or someone on your team to be um, a voice of a particular uh, problem. So media might be covering COVID, for example. And if I had a country doctor in a small town that's just starting to deal with this and having to use homegrown techniques on how to uh, fight COVID-19 because they don't have all the things at their disposal, I might be able to pitch that guy and say, hey, there's this country doctor that's doing some really unique ways of dealing with COVID-19 when you don't have PPE, right? That's a way to get... Um, interest or attention for an executive or a thought leader at the right moment and the right time. So I think those are generally three levels of pitching. You have the actual product solving a problem. You might go deeper into the technology or you might use the founder um, as a way of talking not about their company, but about something in the industry that they're qualified to talk about. Now, I'm almost positive these guys have probably tried to, to pitch ideas that a journalist would probably find i don't know just kind of esoteric or boring or just like maybe maybe my startup is about marketing or something like that or maybe my startup is about something that not anybody thinks about on a, on a daily basis and it sounds like you've done a little bit of that in your financial work is how do you how do you pitch something like that to a general purpose general interest uh, or group um when it when they've they, it, to, to explain it takes far longer than, uh, than like the 15 minute sit down that you want to have with them. So these complex topics are these, are these kind of like uh, esoteric topics that not everybody wants to get their, their head around. Well, I think there's two answers to that. One is there's a vertical um, publication for almost Indian, any industry, whether it's marketing or healthcare. Secondly, there's generally a writer covering a particular vertical um, at mainstream media. So the first part is just better targeting. So if you're going to develop a marketing startup that has a new technology, then more than likely you're going to want to go to vertical media and also try and find writers that write about marketing because that um, explanation aspect um, is going to be much easier to get past. They're going to have a baseline of, of, of the industry that you work in. And then I think the other side is that, and this is where creativity comes in, there's a way to make almost anything exciting. You just have to take the time um, to, I like to say, stop drinking your own Kool-Aid for a few moments, start getting in the shoes of the journalist and take from the approach that they don't care. Okay, start there. They're not going to care about you, your startup, or your technology most of the time. And if you don't take that approach, you're gonna waste a lot of time. So start there. Now, okay, they don't care. How can I actually make them care? It's not going to be words like innovative, first of its kind, amazing. Those are just adverbs and adjectives, and they're not going to get you. Um, they're not going to get you to uh, the interest of someone. So, you need to focus on finding ways to make it relevant and exciting. So, I go back to the other point: is see what's happening in the world. Get your data points. Get your facts and figures. Um, make sure that in your pitch that um, 
that you're making it relevant and timely. So in journalism, um, people tend to, not many journalists, no offense, John, most journalists tend to follow what's popular. Not I. Yeah, but many <laughs> journalists, many journalists follow what's popular. That's why you get so many stories about the iPhone when it comes out, even though it looked like the previous iPhone and the previous iPhone and the previous iPhone, because it gets clicks and they're popular and the editors tell the writers to write about them. So in the middle of all those moments um, that, you know, writers are sitting around, um, they've got a long list of things that they need to write about, make it relevant to them. So I, I, that's the thing I'm always, that's my mantra is make it relevant to them. And if you pitch five different people, you're going to have five different pitches. You know, the base of your pitch may be um, similar, you know, what you, what the product does or the technology, but you know, the, a big meaty part of that pitch, 50% needs to be real specific to the outlet, the journalists and the readers that ultimately are going to consume that content. I always, I always tell folks who are in the, um, who are a lot smaller, if you're just starting out, for example, if you're just starting out uh, with your startup to make friends with a journalist, doesn't matter, yeah. just somebody, somebody who you like, who, who's like, I mean, Eric, Eric is unique in that I actually reciprocated the friendship, uh, but I'm like an awful person to most PR people. Like I'm they, like, I think I made, apparently I made people cry, apparently. Um, I've been at your house when you've taken calls uh, yeah. random, not even sure why you answer your phone. Well, I have to, I mean, it's and, a phone. And you're, uh, and you are direct. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what am I going to say? I don't have any time for this <laughs> anyway. Um, but there are people and, and if you're a friendly person and the journalist is kind of friendly, they want to talk to you because they're kind of bored. They're kind of, they, 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 they want to, they want a human connection with this. Obviously it's a transactional, transactional relationship, which is what caused me to spiral into absolute depression, but that's a whole different story. Um, if you want to, if you want to have that transactional uh, interaction, that's fine. Uh, obviously you give this, you give the journalist a story and they sometimes give you coverage, but you can't, you never pay for coverage either. That's one thing that I see a lot of people doing, paying somebody like Eric or paying a, a agency uh, ten thousand bucks to get send out some emails and set up some appointments. I, the way I equate it for a CEO is that once you get too busy to be able to fly to New York and set up your own appointments, and you want somebody to do it for you, that's when you pay a PR person because that person is going to be the nice person on the other end of the line that says, "Oh, our CEO is a little bit busy right now. He's going to be about five minutes late," and they're going to, and the, the CEO looks golden while the, uh, while the whole world collapses behind around them. Is that a, is that a correct, uh, is that a correct, uh, assessment? Uh, probably not. <laughs> That's the way I see it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it, again, it depends. I mean, I've worked with large, um, I've worked with startups, many, many, many startups. But generally speaking, at this stage of my career, I'm going to work with a startup that's backed by somebody that's done something pretty damn cool. Like um, the startup itself may tank eventually, most of them do, um, but the technology that they've created and the people that are backing it um, have some panache, somebody that you know was a, let's say, instrumental in the creation of, of cellular switching or something like that, right? And there's a lot of nerds out there, uh, like Sasha Segan at PC Magazine that is totally loves cellular. So. Um, being able to pitch him something super nerdy and super deep uh, would be cool. But I think it goes back to relationships. What you are paying PR people generally, two, two things. One is the relationships they have, and two, their ability to take um, ginormous amounts of information and text own form of legalese uh, and you know nonsense words and paring it down into stories and narratives that are going to be relevant um, to your, your media connections. So that's ultimately, but it goes back if you're not ready for that and there's no reason, if it's not going to give you something other than an ego boost, then it's probably not the right time to engage uh, a PR agency. So you're not just a, you're not just a, a calendar, calendar organizer. No, 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 I think, but you know, the problem is if you do hire an agency and you are only paying them $10,000, uh, there is a strong possibility that you, your your business is going to be given to the lowest person on the totem pole at that agency with the least amount of experience. It's not always that case, but it's it's certainly um, 
you know, if I'm running a piece of business that I'm getting a hundred thousand dollars a month, which I've worked on many pieces of business at the agency level where I am getting a hundred to fifteen to maybe one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars a month or more, you know, my time is going to be spent on that, and my team's time is going to be spent on that, and our best people's time is going to be spent on that. So if you do go at an agency, this is the great conundrum: is if you go to a large agency. They're going to be dealing with the top media all the time because they're dealing with the most exciting clients, which means they have the relationships. You go to a, but they're not going to have the time for a five to ten thousand dollar a month piece of business. Um, or you go to a boutique agency that works with a lot of clients that no one cares about, and they're not <laughs> dealing mm. with the media <laughs> every day. So you can see that this is where the challenge of a startup and working with outside consulting. So I think that is. My main thing is maybe finding the, the right answer is finding an individual, maybe not an agency, a large agency, certainly not for a boutique agency, but you're, you're ultimately going to engage a human being. So find a human being um, that you trust, that you like working with, um, that you're paying directly. Um, and it's not contingency work, right? You don't pay someone. And if they don't give you what you want, you don't pay them. That's not mm -hmm. how we operate. You pay them like the casino. And you hope that you do well. Um, and unfortunately, nobody can guarantee coverage. You just can't. Um, you're hiring people that have um, a resume of doing challenging work, and you like the way. I would say, look at their if they can if they can provide those kind of materials. If it's not secret, you know, how would you pitch this? You know, ask those questions. Give me a give me a pitch note. How would you pitch the media? Pitch me as though I'm a journalist. Tell me how you would pitch it. Um, and see if you feel comfortable, see if they're passionate as you are about your startup, you want them to be as passionate about pitching your startup. And with that passion and excitement, will hopefully come the motivation um, to give, you know, 100% of their energy to your startup and do whatever they can do to get other people excited. So one last thing, I just wanted to see if you could maybe explain this better than I could. I get these, I get these emails sometimes now. Uh, and I'm sure you guys have gotten these things. I don't know if you can read this, but it's like some, it's some uh, Ukrainian agency that sent me the, and they sent a list of oh, yeah, yeah. feature. Now, how do these, how do these guys operate and what do these guys think they're doing versus, or what do these guys do versus what, what startups think they're doing? Cause I mean like TechCrunch, 8900 to get an article into TechCrunch, but it doesn't, I, unless I missed something while I was there, nobody, would ever get pitched by this, these people and they would never get in. Um, it, I mean, it, this, this is ridiculous. It's a scam, right? Yeah, it's a scam. So, yeah. Okay, so don't do this. So, or, or they're doing advertorials, right? Yeah, but you can't. I mean, like for like Wired, where are you going to get advertorial? Like one thing, one thing I, I spotted once was somebody creating like Harvard Business School websites um, mm -hmm. for themselves. Anyway, all right, so we got about... Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no way to pay and play into to many outlets. There are different tools uh, that require cost and will get you guaranteed placements on things. But at the startup level, there really is nothing. It's it's elbow grease and storytelling. Okay, I want to get I want to get to some questions. We only we have we're, we went thirty minutes on this. Do you guys have any specific questions, or you just wanted to keep going? I guess I think you can raise your hand in this. Can you? Or just unmute yourself and talk. Bueller. I think some people are trying to Brian, talk. Can you hear me? Yeah, hey, Brian. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was wondering for you guys, uh, how often does a journalist, you know, find a startup on their own and choose to write about it? And if so, like, what signals can a founder or startup put out there to, I don't know, make themselves attractive to maybe being written about? Um, so, so when I was, when I was doing TechCrunch, it was 99% of the time I would get, I would get the, I would get the, the scoop, scoop, quote unquote. I mean, so for a TechCrunch post in general, any like a business post, like a story about it, like a cool new business or cool new idea, that kind of thing. That's, that's, almost, that's like service journalism, you would call it. 
And for the audience, for the TC audience, there's a couple things that they want. And I'm only speaking for TC, but this is applicable for almost anywhere else. Uh, CNN and MSNBC have different criteria and they want, they want big guys, but, the, but the, uh, it's about the same. So the service aspect is, hey, there's this cool thing, you should check it out. And that's great. And that's like, that's one of the things that I love to do because it's like, I want to show people cool stuff. There's also the, uh, there's also a, um, the funding post, which is somebody got funded for $2 million or $10 million or $100 million or whatever. Mm. And that funding post, nobody cares about. Like, I don't even think the, the startup's parents care about that. Uh, the dude's guy, the dude's parents care about that. But it's, but it's fun because it, and it kind of gives you a TikTok of, of where where the startup is from from beginning to end. So if there's a new startup and it and it raises five hundred thousand, you don't talk about you don't talk about your funding. You talk about your product. Once you raise two million or ten million or some sort of some sort of uh, massive number, then it's a funding story. And then you have your your first story. Your second story is your funding. Third story could be a new product that comes out. And the fourth story is your bankruptcy or whatever. Um, and that's sort of that gives you a full uh, a full uh, range of stories and full range of coverage. Uh, the the ones that stood out for me very specifically were the ones where the CEO says, "Hey, I have something cool to show you," uh, or they tweet me, or they or they text me. I've had I've had PR people who just drive me crazy uh, with this. Um, it, hey, can you look at this? Hey, can you look at this? They'll send an email five times and it just and, and it immediately sours me on the business and it sours me on the PR person. And it's, and that's, that, that's my, that's my primary issue. Um, but my recommendation is you basically email somebody, Hey, can I show you this cool thing? Send another email. Hey, just following up. Can I show you this cool thing? A third email. Can I show you this cool thing? And if they don't respond, then just, they just trash the email. Don't worry about it. Just keep moving. Um, I'd agree. Yeah. So try three times. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, the, like I said, these, we get thousands of emails a day uh, and I don't want to read any of them. So your email is, your email is immediately uh, suspect on that, on that front. Um, did that help Brian? Yep. That was great. Appreciate okay, it. Cool. Where do I find an agency for five to 10 K a decent agency? Eric. Um, I, I honestly don't think there's a, a simple answer to that. I mean, regionally, um, if you're just looking to do press in a European country, it could be a lot less. Um, I think in the United States, uh, five to 10 is on the low side. Um, but where you can find them, I think here's the problem is, and I'm gonna, I, I truly believe this because I've worked a lot of different agencies. The agency is, is not what you're buying. It's the people that you're going to work with. So if you meet an agency, I uh, would say compared, that you meet the day-to-day -day people that are going to work on your account every day. That's what you want. Um, the people that you're going to reach out to, email, communicate weekly on calls, who are going to be doing the pitching. And I make it a requirement if you are audit auditing agencies, because that's what you're ultimately paying for, people. People at agencies are transitory. They're gonna to move to different agencies over time. They're gonna go in-house, they're gonna go back into an agency. And great, great people um, may not be at that agency at that moment. So take, the, it's a non-answer, but there is no way to say how you find a good agency other than you're gonna to have to, much like if I was gonna you know, build a deck, I'm gonna bring three to four people out to give me a bid. I'm gonna um, tell them my, you know what I'm looking for, and I'm going to see how they reflect that back to me, not just the cost, but their vision on top of my vision. So just do the work. Don't don't hire an agency because this one was five thousand and that one was four and this one was six. Uh, if you really are at the moment where you want to hire an agency, the difference between four and six thousand is not that much if you're going to be getting um, a better group of people that are going to really work their ass off for you. I mean, one of the things that one of the things that that happens sometimes is that a, a founder will ask me what I think of an agency, and they'll admit they'll they'll tell me that uh, that the agency will tell them that hey, I know John Biggs. We used to take baths together as children, and uh, and it turns out that I haven't heard of them ever. Um, so it that that's kind of a you can check up on you can check up on the small guys. I mean, I can I can count on 
one hand, the, the PR people that I would answer their calls or try my damnedest to get their stories together uh, because I trust them and I know that they're going to give me interesting, I know that they're going to give me interesting stories. So literally four people in the world. Uh, and I've worked at New York Times, I worked at TechCrunch, I ran Gizmodo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Brian, I, hold on a second. Let's keep on. I worked at Gizmodo. Um, so there's loads of, there's loads of, um, there's loads of PR people. There's only like five that I would actually trust with to, to bring me a story that's un, unadulterated with, with garbage. The ideal. Hey, John. One, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to contribute something that I think might be helpful. Um, so when I, when I was, when I was working on, uh, when I hired a PR, I hired two PR agencies over the course of time I spent building Kaya. And one, uh, you can find a, a decent agency, I would say as a startup for any, for five to 10,000 a month, I wouldn't say you could probably do it unless you did like a, a special project, like a one-off project with an agency, though, which they typically I've found don't want to do. They want to be on retainer for at least X amount of months um, for the most part. And but so it is possible. But but going back to the Twitter thing, one of the things I found that was interesting, if you just go on Twitter, all the really good PR people are on there. If you can see them talking and interacting with journalists, you know, on, on the regular, that's a really good sign. Um, so and, and, and find out if they whether they do it for, you know, themselves or whether they work for another an actual agency, you know, then you want to talk to those people. Uh, I, that's what I would, That's what I did and worked worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. So Alvin asked, uh, what's the ideal route, ideal route to engage the, through Twitter over time? I mean, it's a, it's a relationship, right? So like, as, uh, as Eric and Jeff said, it's basically, you want to have a relationship with that, with that journalist. So if that if that relationship is you chatting with them on Twitter or sending them funny cat pictures or interacting with them, just be a human to them. I mean, it's not, it's not that difficult. One of the things that's frustrating um, is when you're not human, when it just is spam, when it just is an email out. Um, the Trust Me, I'm Lying book. So if you read that book, we're, uh, my, my buddy Charlie and I are actually featured in it constantly um, because we wrote this book called Bloggers Bootcamp and we wrote about how blogging, how to blog. And when we wrote it, we basically said blogging is journalism on a tight deadline and that most journalists, most bloggers suck and that, and that, blogging is horrible and we're destroying the industry and all this other stuff. So Ryan ran with that. Uh, but Ryan's tricks were basically that like, like there was this guy in this, uh, in this, uh, group just now, uh, this group that I'm in with, uh, with what's his name, Calacanis. And he wrote that he did growth hacking. He basically created a fake website for booking call girls. So for less than a thousand dollar fee, he hired an agency to help us quickly trend on Twitter. Hashtag trended on Twitter and the boost in traffic onto the fake website. Over 12,000 people signed up for his fake call girl site. And then he used those emails to pitch them some other like uh, travel, travel stuff. And he also used that email, those, the, that, that fact that he signed people up as some kind of like, I don't know, to get press. And it's such a cheese ball move and it's so unethical that maybe it works. I mean, go for it if you care. Uh, but it's really, it's a really goofy, there's, there's no tricks to this. I remember I, like I used, I used to get hassled at like at the urinal in the bathroom by founders because they're so desperate. And I understand, I understand hundred percent why you're desperate because you can't get it. You can't access anybody. You can't get anybody to pay attention to you. And again, it's a, it's a human thing. Don't, don't hassle me at the urinal. Maybe let's just, maybe, uh, maybe bring me a damn sandwich or something. Not that I need it. <laughs> I mean, there's a secret. I, I, all right. So the Twitter thing, I, I'm admittedly, I'm on Twitter, but I, I rarely use it. I just read other people's stuff. I don't post. Um, but I use Twitter to, to unearth things, shall we say. It's a research tool for me. But, you know, I've known journalists for a long, long time. So I think it's hard to, to brew relationships overnight um, or the experience that I've had working with different types of journalists. But I also have young people on my team because journalists are getting, you know, journalists are always young and then they get older and then there's young ones and older. So I, I think also is if you're, you have a, this is also important. You can hire me to pitch something at a high level um, to certain types of journalists. But, uh, but if you have a technology 
that's very millennial focused and it's really going to hit a very younger tech audience, then you might also want to make sure that on your team, you've got a young pitcher, somebody that understands and is developing relationships with younger writers uh, that are writing this kind of stuff. So again, it's that, that uh, mapping, that human mapping. I would just also add, like, it's all about relationships, like we've been saying. So if that's the case, you want to start earlier rather than later. Don't start develop, develop, trying to develop a relationship with someone when you need it. Start before you need it. So, uh, and that'll, that'll help once you're ready to roll out some PR stuff, uh, I think, greatly. Uh, do you news, news hacking, news jacking as a strategy, strategy, David, why don't you explain that to us? Cause that sounds a little, I don't know. I, I, I've, I haven't news jacked in a couple of years now. What is that? Yeah. Um, so I mean, for example, when the coronavirus comes out, there's a lot of stories you could do about that. I see a lot of, um, companies talking about that. I even saw a meme from some a PR on some PR forum on Reddit where they said that brace yourselves for all the COVID related pitches from mm -hmm. CEOs. Uh, but obviously the, it's, it's common. Uh, and I asked if you've done something like that. And if you've also worked with um, doing original research, there's this firm Fractal, for example, who are um, popular right now for creating original um, data on service and then they pitch that to uh, newspapers mm -hmm. so so from a from a journalistic standpoint yeah you could you can get that kind of thing into a into a post or into a story like 99 percent of the people with covid have i don't know four legs or something like that i don't know what you want to what the, what kind of stats you can get in never pitch infographics those are awful uh, but then that's also a question about eminence. That's CEO eminence, right? Uh, or eminence pitching, right, Eric? You mean what? What is getting like the like the our CEO would like to talk to you about how how our product solves COVID by uh, I don't know making you happy or something like that. Is that a, is that a good strategy? I mean, so before the before that one, I can't remember his name. Before that one writer created the news jacking, we would just call it trend pitching or current events or whatever. And it's been going on since the dawn of of, of public relations. So, at Walgreens, for example, every year pitches it's flu season, and make sure you get your pitch. And here's some new data stats on the flu. And they recycle that pitch every single year or every time there's a kind of a a, a flu epidemic. Notice I didn't say pandemic. Um, so they just kind of rinse, wash, repeat that over and over during the holidays, people pitch the holidays. So it's the word newsjacking sounds a little negative to me, but I think in reality, it's just finding something that's happening, uh, whether it's the Super Bowl or something and making sure that your pitch aligns with that current event or the trend or something that's happening, um, in the industry. Um, but be wise that if you're trying to make a very, very tenuous connection like to COVID-19, it's going to backfire. Um, that if it's not really about COVID-19 or just barely connected, I would just, and here's a problem. As a PR person, um, when you take on a piece of business at an agency, um, the reason I often would turn pieces of business down um, is I wanted to make sure that I'm also working with people that are going to take counsel and advice. I don't want to get that CEO that calls John and says, hey, do you know this guy? I hired him and is, are they a dick or, or whatever? Because that kind of is that, you can already tell that's kind of an A-type personality that's going to hire somebody to do something and then go out and do it themselves, right? And then kind of step all over the process. So um, just keep things relevant. I think there are probably plenty of things uh, related to COVID-19, uh, PPE, um, staying healthy and, and people, journalists are looking to fill content and, and write content related to COVID-19 because their editors are asking them to write information related to COVID-19 and they're, they're running out of things to write about. So if there's something that honestly is related to COVID-19, I think it's a perfectly acceptable way uh, to push a pitch in. I think the, um, I think another way to think about it is that, um, 
is that a lot of these tricks, especially the Ryan Holiday stuff, I remember now what Ryan was doing. He would also get on like, and it would be like, hey, it's National uh, Cake Week and my client, mm -hmm. Joe's Cakes, has a great story for you about how cake is the best thing in the world. And that, that's, that's kind of cheesy. These are, all like, these are all tactics. These are all cheese ball tactics. The, the, the journalist that you would get with that is so low on the totem pole that, they're, that it, the, the press will get you nothing. And then any tricks that you do like that, like that, uh, like the guy who was talking about those tricks in the, in the chat room, any tricks you do, if you get caught, you're immediately, you're immediately suspect. I've, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of almost every claim unless I know it comes from a trusted source. So if you're going to be a trusted source and be a trusted source, if you want to mess, if you want to play, if you want to play games and you want to have, and you want to, news jack and you want to hack hack the hack the system and and um and uh, whatchamacallit what do they call it growth hack then go for it but you're not going to get what you're looking for you're going to get a you're going to get a quick quick uh boost uh of ten thousand signups and that's going to be the end of your signups that'll be it because you're going to because you're focused on a, you're focused on the wrong thing my 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 assessment even as a startup or as an entrepreneur is that you have to build the product, you have to sell the product, and then once the product gets really cool and is still kind of underground, then you get PR and you pump it up just over the just over the event horizon, so people start to notice it. That's how you get your. Uh, that's how you consistently get more people, um, and you get actual benefit out of all this stuff. So I think this is a good time to note. Uh, you asked me the question earlier, and and. We've really just been talking about PR as it relates to journalism. And PR, or public relations, um, we tend to forget about the public side to it. So a PR agency can be helpful in a lot of different ways. Uh, this goes back to how much time in the day you're running your startup. Well, there are lots of meetups around the country, regional, national meetups. There's events. Um, as I mentioned, they're vertical events. So if you are creating a marketing startup, as John used in his example earlier, there's lots of marketing events or top tier marketing events. We're going to those events and schmoozing with marketing journalists or uh, buyers and sellers and, and uh, people that might license that product. PR can play a role in that. So there's B2B, B2C. Um, so a really good PR um, resource, hopefully, it, you're going to look for someone that may have uh, that pitching may not be at that stage, but that person may be able to help you, or that agency may be able to help you with other things early on. Uh, if you're going to write your own article, what's the best way to publish? And considering how algorithms work, uh, medium. Oh God! I mean, look. I don't know what you guys are getting on Medium. I don't get I don't get that much play on Medium. Uh, I once got a post that had like four hundred thousand views, and then now it's been like four. Um, and I mean, I don't know what the content's about, etc. If it's if it's a content thing or or th anything, the way I see it is you want to get that story out as much as you can. Put it on Medium. Put it on LinkedIn. Put it on Facebook. So what I'll do now is if I want to get something out, I'll post it on all three. And then I'll also post it on my own personal blog. That's obviously just for, that's obvious for my quote unquote personal brand. Uh, but the same thing I think is true here. No one platform is going to get you anything and never pay, never, ever, ever pay for a guest post anywhere, ever, because <laughs> nobody reads it to it, to it's going to be, and you have no, con you have no access to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, whatchamacallit, you have no access to the, um, uh, statistics so you don't know if any if nobody read it so they're going to claim all kinds of crazy stuff they got they got a million pages a month or something like that you're not getting a you're not getting an ounce of those million page views i can tell you with with absolute certainty that if you bought a if you bought a post on TechCrunch, you're basically wasting your money but that's a whole different story the term is is a bylined article and TechCrunch, venture beat and a variety of other um, outlets have a portal where you can go in and you can pitch the editors a concept if, again if you have a um, founder that has, uh, you know, some meat on their resume, they've done something kind of fantastic. That's generally, I would say, issue number one. And then two, you know, give a couple of ideas on, on what they might pitch. But keep in mind, if you're pitching your product into a byline, it's going to go into the garbage. If you're pitching, as I said earlier, something related to the industry or something interesting to the readers, 
Um, you, you have to understand when you take the byline route, what they're doing is they're getting a free story from someone that has some name recognition. It's not an advertisement for their company. So it's a way of getting interest uh, and the founder featured uh, and maybe getting the, the company name mentioned related to the founder, but that's about it. So um, if, but that goes back to, I think what Jeff was saying, you gotta start early. So if you're needing to build a background on the founder, somebody that has maybe some background or a little background, they should be tweeting, they should be uh, liking other people's posts, they can try and do bylines and publications, writing their own personal blogs, because as you get to the, the, the funding stage, People are going to give that person an enema. And what I mean is they're going to go and, and deep dive into that person. They're going to look how many tweets they've done. They're going to go and see if they can get into their Facebook page. So you should make it private. They're going to look at LinkedIn. They're going to do Google name searches. They're going to go and see everything they can find. And if they find zero, that's not necessarily a great thing. You know, I've met, I've worked with people that are doing startups and they don't even have a LinkedIn profile. So you know, there's a little bit of homework and back work that needs to be done to get you ready. And so if the startup is going to do that, you can imagine that the journalist is going to do exactly the same thing if they bother opening your email. I think the, I think the answer is quite simply, if you're going to be the CEO, quote unquote, and there is no such thing as a CEO for startup, it's basically just a bunch of people who are trying to build something. If you're going to be the, if you're going to be the front man, you have to be like, you have to be like Axl Rose or you have to be like Billy Ellis or whoever. You have to be the lead singer, and the lead singer is always out front. The lead singer has, has, has articles written about them because, they're, because of what they say, because of how they act. Don't act like a jerk by any stretch of the imagination. I've seen that happen before, and that's a, that's a whole different story. Uh, but interact with your audience. Interact with the people who you care about. Like, interact with journalists. Interact with VCs. Be the guy that, be the guy that they've noticed before. And I know it's really, it's a pain in the ass. And a lot of us are, a lot of us are introverts and a lot of us don't want to deal with that. A lot of us don't want to do, do PR that way. Then fine, don't do it. And then, uh, and see how far you get. And a lot of right. people don't do it and they get pretty far. But I mean, Colin Angle, the, the CEO of iRobot is, um, is a really awkward guy, but he forced himself to become like the, the primary dude at, at iRobot and he's the face of it. Um, I haven't talked to him in a while, but he kind of, he, he has to change. I mean, what happened to, uh, what happened to, what's his name? Jeff Bezos. He turned into a freaking Schwarzenegger just so he could feel better about talking, talking out loud. He was always sort of, he was always sort of a quiet nerd and he just had to fix himself. And now he's, now he gets to play with, you know, he gets to play with cool tech and he gets to talk to cool journalists all day because he's, uh, he, he built this, he built this business. And again, you're building a business first. You're not building a, you're not building a Twitter presence. You're not building a personal brand. You're not doing anything else. So, it, so above all, you should focus on the building the business before you even worry about any PR. But always, but always I, have that in the back of your mind. But I think you bring up an interesting point and a question that everyone needs to ask themselves is why? So why do you need PR? Why do you, you, what's the purpose at this stage? And again, I'd say, and I, it may sound high, but I think 90% of the time, when I would an agency, when people would reach out to me as an agency, when you really broke it all down, it seemed, it seems weighted on ego. We could say, you know, we want the money, obviously, but we also don't want to deal with the headache and we'd have to balance that. But there were many times it was premature and people would come in and want to hire us. And our answer was, I think it's too soon. Come back to us in three to four months, you know, go ahead and get like your first you know, go get some basic, get your first round of funding done for God's sake. And then we can, you know, once someone you, you, that's the litmus test, right? Once you've got that, then maybe we can start cultivating a story and that could be even too soon. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the, and, and if, if raising your first funding round or making your first sales are, um, are feel like that, it's absolutely necessary for you to get PR, then there might be something intrinsically wrong with the business too, uh, which is, which is the saddest and worst thing to, to know ultimately. And I've had that, I've had that feeling before, like, Hey, we got this, we, we, we did a, we did a startup. We got 10,000 signups cause we did some TechCrunch posts. We got a, we got a Coindesk post, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's really excited about it. And, uh, and then bupkis, that means something is implicitly wrong with the business, not implicitly wrong with the PR. Um, 
Alvin, six to 12 months. Obviously, publicity would be a big priority for me. Should I start cultivating relations with the journalist first as opposed to engaging PR firm where the Steve Jobs kept hunting after Gray to launch the Mac? So I'm wondering if it's still good a strategy. Gray to launch the Mac. You know, uh, Steve Jobs is a whole different animal where none of us are Steve Jobs. And even Steve Jobs wasn't Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was kind of a jerk. Um, does, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't go talk to PR, right, Eric? So I'm I'm reading through the, obviously those would be a priority for me. Should I start? Well, I don't. I'm a startup founder who wants to enter the U.S. market in six to twelve months. I I to be honest with you, I don't know if there's enough information um, there for me to to provide an answer. Um, I mean, um, the answer depends. What is the product? Um, you know, so a founder is launching a product in the U.S. market. Yeah, in yeah, six Alvin, to 12 is. Alvin wants to. Alvin okay. wants to launch here. Okay, the product has already been created. Yes, Sounds sorry. Like so, yeah. Uh, let me give some background. Yeah. Uh, it's a. Uh, you heard of Soylent, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind of like uh, the Soylent of uh, Asia, and we want to enter the U.S. market. Six to twelve months. And um, basically launch our brand of Soylent. Mm-hmm. So, in order to get publicity, then do we, you know, do we go the PR firm route, or can we cultivate relationships? So, I, to be clear, you're making uh, this is a beverage. Yes. Okay. So I've worked with a couple of beverage companies over the course of my career. Actually, when I moved to Seattle about 12 years ago, um, when um, the kind of press juice and all of that was starting to get into um, Whole Foods and then everyone and their mother wanted to create um, something. Uh, say it's a very, very hard business um, to get press around because it's on one end, it's not a technology. Um, it's, it's, I, I, so we say every founder, everybody I've ever worked with, will I'll say, Hey, this is not a main street product. And generally what they'll say is, Oh, it's totally a main street product. It's for everybody. Well, no product is for everyone. Not even the iPhone is for everyone. So with a product like that, um, you have to think about who are you going to go after and would you need an agency to, to go after? And I would say maybe in the beginning, unless, so let me ask another question. Is this a, a product that you're gonna be in, the, in six to 12 months, you're gonna be in the store, there's a marketing campaign, you have distribution, and it's gonna be in multiple stores around the country? Um, is it gonna be an online play only, which you're distributing yourself? Is it a franchise? It's a um, uh, direct-to-consumer e-commerce. Okay, so that's going to become even more challenging. So if you were being, uh, and let me explain how, from a PR perspective, uh, let's say Whole Foods, and Whole Foods, which is now owned by Amazon, uh, but it, was, it, started, it uh, uh, started off in Texas, actually, um, that oftentimes they take a product, they will put it in a couple of stores, and they test to see how it's doing. And that also gives them time to learn how they're going to merchandise it or, or put it on shelves because they have a limited amount of space. Um, I've worked through a few companies that, uh, health companies that were distributed in like that. And it was, it was really hard um, to get press on products where there already was uh, an incumbent. That there already was, or in the, you know, in the case of juice, there are already about three or four options out there. And so, whether you should get an agency or not for a direct-to-consumer play, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say what you need to do is probably get somebody with some basic PR experience that's going to do a lot of list building because your product is going to be reviewed and it's going to be highly vertical, um, and meaning you're going to go after nutritionist websites and things like that. And you're going to want to look um, for those that already have probably some degree of Amazon relationship. So are you going to distribute it on Amazon or are you going to distribute it on your website? Both. Both. Okay. So with Amazon, um, one of the things I would suggest that you do is do a search, um, for similar drinks on Amazon because Amazon has a new process called Amazon recommended media. It's a, I actually coined the term called arm. But basically, Amazon is now pulling in websites like Digital Trends, 
both big websites and sites you've never even heard of. And they're doing roundups. So they might say, here are the five best energy drinks, or here are the five best robotic vacuums, and here are the five best, they're all roundups. Um, and they pull the content in. So when you do a search for a product, you're now gonna start seeing um, these stories pop up, organ not organically, but in the search based on Amazon's algorithm. I would suggest doing this for a week, see what outlets come up and then prioritize pitching those outlets. For the most part, if they're already doing roundups, these guys and gals are gonna take reviews. They're going to take, um, and then the challenge is going to be if they're making tons of income because they make money off of these links um, and they're gonna generally have the top ones, the ones that are just, people are clicking and they're making their, um, they're making their income. And John, what's that called again? My brain just, uh, uh, affiliate see. affiliate stuff. Affiliate, thank you. Sorry. So that's that's a whole um, different story. We should do a whole, right. whole another goddamn right. thing about that because that drives me nuts. But, but that's a whole different story. But if you are uh, distributing through Amazon, this has got to be a primary play for you. Uh, we do it with Amazon. Uh, you know, P in this case, PR normally is not. You say, oh, PR is not generally responsible for income or sales. But we could say that uh, you know, thirty percent of PR's efforts on a year-to-year -year basis is actually driving revenue for the company. Uh, working with particular media, it helps us focus because it does have a real intangible uh, result on sales and distribution. Now there are outlets that will cover everything. There are other outlets that are going to require first. I, you need to get a good review first, and then you get a good review. You might make it up in the roundup, and if you make it in the roundup, you might uh, make it into the Amazon uh, listing. So do searches there. That's number one. I would say prioritize that. That's super tangible revenue driving PR that you can own and do yourself. And then the second thing would be just look all the places that your competitors are being covered. Uh, this is counter to what John said earlier, but if that's kind of what they cover and that's what they cover all the time, then likely they're gonna need, they like new stuff. So just send them a case and, you know, I think you can do this with um, kind of a junior PR person uh, to help you out. Another thing I think that could be useful, um... Alvin is uh, considering this. John may hate on me for saying this, but mm -hmm. looking at influencers, especially if you're if, you, if if it's a direct Soylent competitor, that the reason why everyone talks about it is because it was so strange, right? And that and that that and that had like a cult following. So I would seriously look into trying to get people to just try your product and and, and get them hooked on it. Um, you know, identify your specific target audience. Like I said. Like Eric said, it's not going to be everyone, but you have to identify who it is and just reach out to them, reach out to people on Instagram. Um, and that's, that's easy pickings because those guys will promote it. And all you have to do is give away product. Oh, and I'm but assuming then, it's then some of these, expensive. some of these wackos charge like, well, they, the, the, the business is actually kind of dead now. Yeah. Uh, okay. So if, if I mean, you were going to do like a large scale influencer campaign, it would cost you some money. But yeah, it costs you a um, lot of money actually, because these guys are nuts. Yeah. Those in, influencers are basically like bloggers were back in uh, 2004 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't shark though, like the bloggers did. Um, so as they lose the revenue from the uh, the marketers, then they start up upselling. Now it's like desperation time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, usually they, there are, there, you know, then what was it two years ago? It was micro influencers. That was the new word where you go after someone that doesn't have a large following, but a very specific following. So that might still be a route. Um, so if you've got people that are really legitimately off, you'll hear the word authentically, um, where when you go on their Instagram site, it's not all just sexy pictures of them holding a product like this, where most of the people that are following them are just guys <laughs> and there's no engagement. So they might have a million followers, but they don't give a shit about your product if you put it in their hands, right? The, the, the audience. So it'd be finding an influencer or a micro influencer that's really into juicing or really into something. Um, you're probably still going to have to pay, but you could also even give them extra quantities to give away for internal promotions to their fans, but you're probably still going to have to pay. Um, experiment lightly see what your ROI is, um, and then if it works, you can expand the program. And arguably, I mean, I might be talking about out of my butt because, I mean, you go to some of these events now, and it's just as the way that we were, we were like the young upstarts back when we were doing blogging, and like the guys from PC Mag would just kind of totter in in their fishing vests or whatever. Uh, 
they hated us and uh <laughs> hated us and now 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 we're the same way with these like kids like i don't know some kid with a with a uh, selfie cam and like rabbit ears who says that he's a he's an apple blogger and i'm like i don't know who he is right. whatever anyway okay but so this that's, I, that's a really good point and to jeff's point i do think when you say an influencer if someone calls themselves an influencer it's like when in, when when my wife's a dancer i have friends that paint and when people use the word i'm an artist it makes me cringe inside but when so when someone says they're an influencer it makes me cringe but there are people out there you know i i do woodworking now i'm trapped in my house like everyone else COVID 19 i've spent a fortune buying you know miter saws and this and that i'm watching all these videos on woodworking and it's really interesting because these youtubers uh, that are writing, they just honestly love what they do. They really, really love, and they get subscriptions and views because they're they're creating something really cool. And occasionally, they they use a particular brand saw, but the video is the video, and the video is about making something. So I do think if you spend the time to go out and find people, um, it may be more difficult in the drink industry, but find people that are truly, truly into this sort of stuff. Um, then they might be more agreeable to work with you and the people that are viewing and watching um, their channels, whether it's TikTok or YouTube or uh, Instagram or whatever, it might have a, a bigger impact. Yeah, and I look at a guy like Marcus Brownlee, who's a, who's a new, blog, new video blogger, YouTuber, and he has a really nice following. He, does, he, he treats it like a journalistic enterprise, which is you have to. I mean, we're not... Yeah. It's, it's not your intention to lie to the world, and it's not our intention to help you lie to the world. The, if, we talk, if, we, if we're talking to, to a consumer, we're talking to somebody who wants to use our product, we want to make sure that they're actually using our product and not some kind of facsimile or some lie about our product. Anyways, okay, so it's five, five o'clock. Do we have a one or two, one, one more question before we close up? Anybody? Okay. Uh, give us a nice review. Eric and I just wrote a book. It's called Get Funded. Uh, it's coming out in June. That's our plug. But I wanted to do this just to help people out, and I guess it, I guess it worked. Hopefully, it was hopefully it was helpful for you guys. Uh, where is our book? Our book is uh, our book is arguably the best book on startups in the world um, ever written. Ever written. We can do this again if you guys enjoyed it. Just uh, send me an email, uh, John at Biggs.cc, or or uh, just ping us on ping us on wherever the meetup page or wherever you want. Uh, we can do this again and hang out because uh, I think this is helpful. I can get other people too if you get bored with uh, Eric, but I don't think you will. Oh, you will. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Alvin, for joining us at thanks, four in the morning, dude. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks again.